actually want to read the passage that I wanted to preach on, if, if that's okay. Um, this is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Hear now God's word. Wow, there it goes. That's amazing. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have, become, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner and life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I struggle with reading Paul's letters. I got to admit, I don't really like them. Anyone else feel that way? You don't have to be, you don't have to, okay, we have some honest people. Yes, yes, Izzy. I, I mean, heaven. Um, yes, it's a uh, struggle. I, I struggle with reading Paul. And, and, you know, because when I read Paul, oftentimes I read him in snippets. Because that's how sometimes Paul is pre how sermons are preached on Paul. Re or on the letters that Paul writes. There's snippets like bumper stickers, right? Pray without ceasing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with these snippets. There's nothing wrong with good, fun, clean bumper stickers. But to be honest, I'd rather read the Gospels or the Old Testament because it feels so much more relatable to me. To hear stories of people who are failures, to hear of people who are greater, wiser, stronger than myself fail, that gives me some comfort to know that I'm not the only one who struggles loving God and struggles loving my neighbor. And I realized as I was thinking about this, um, as, as we take a time, as we take a little break from your sermon series and introduce you to one of ours, you know, I realize part of this is, is me getting caught looking at the trees and forgetting the beauty of the forest. Especially when reading Paul's letters. When's the last time that, you know, you've read the whole, you've read a Pauline letter in one sitting? It's been a while for me. It's not something that we do. We read it in chunks. We read it in bits. It winds up looking like bumper stickers and fortune cookies. And, and it's so easy to get caught up in the sound bites and the snippets of scripture and forget that each of Paul's letters have a specific audience, a theme, that each of his letters are actually a complete idea that needs to be thought of in that sort of way. And so at Trinity First, we've been studying Ephesians for over a year now. And as I was um, studying, I, studying it recently, I was reminded that we had just entered into the second major break, the second part of this letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians is split kind of into two neat parts. Um, most scholars will look at it and say that you have Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, 
which is kind of about Paul exploring the story of the gospel, how all history comes into climax in Jesus, and how uh, how from Jesus becomes this new multi-ethnic community of followers. And then the second half, Ephesians 4 to 6, is uh, Paul explaining how the gospel should affect the way we live our lives personally, in our community, and within our families. And so at Trinity, we've been studying um, Ephesians 4. Um, and I want to and, and so just hop into this verse where we just heard, you heard me read. Um, we, we missed the first part of this chapter, which is just as important and sets the foundation for what we're studying today. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul here in this, in, from 1724, he tells us what to do as we try to figure out how do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we've been called. And so Paul writes here, he writes that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, when we hear the word Gentiles here, um, I need to remind us that um, not everyone in the Ephesian church was Jewish. And Paul wasn't kind of pointing out the difference between the Jewish believers or the Gentiles. But the word Gentiles can also be translated as the, as, or it comes from the Greek word ethne, which we get our word ethnic. We, we get the ideas of nations. Um, in Hebrew, um, Gentiles would mean the nations. So we must no longer walk as the nations do. We must no longer walk uh, as everyone else does in the futility of their minds. But instead, instead, Paul reminds us to put off our old self and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says, we must no longer walk as the nations, as everyone else does. And that was hard for the Ephesians to do. They were part of their culture. They, that was where they were raised. They, they came out of it. And so the culture made an impact on their lives. And it's also hard for us at times to do as well. You know, a lot of times people like to compare Ephesus with San Francisco, a cosmopolitan city where all these people have come to worship, to live in a multi-ethnic, multicultural context in a place where all different gods are worshipped. A lot of people like to compare San Francisco to Ephesus. And here, Paul reminds us that the nations, that, that, the, that the Gentiles, they, they struggle because of the futility of their minds and all the other things being darkened in their understandings, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, becoming callous and having given up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. Now, these are just symptoms, right, of, the, of their minds. 
callous, giving up to sensuality, greedy to practices of every kind of impurity. These are symptoms of what it means to have futile minds. And so, what's the remedy? Paul reminds us that the remedy is the truth is in Jesus. And not in some metaphysical sort of abstract kind of way. Jesus is, isn't truth because God is truth and Jesus is God. This is not what he's talking about. Paul here is telling us that by imitating Jesus, by following Jesus and living like Jesus, that is how we need to live. Just as Jesus gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, God calls us and promises us that new life can be had when we follow the Jesus way. That when we sacrifice, we gain. That death is not the final answer. That there is a hope that this world is being made better through our lives in living countercultural lives. That through the resurrection, we know that death isn't the answer. And as we wait for Jesus to return, we are invited to partner in Him with Jesus to transforming this world into a world and showing the world what it looks like to live in a new, transformed way. You know, I'm reminded that we live in a post-Christian world and here in the West, so much of the values that we, that everyone in the West holds to have Christian values, they're based on Christian values. And it's really hard at times to see the difference, how we are different from the world. I know Pastor John likes to go on Reddit. I do as well. And someone posted on Reddit, what do you think is unique about Christian ethics today besides its sexual ethics? User, semi, uh, user seemed like a good plan, he answered. I recently finished You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. So that's what comes to mind to him or her, uh, to, to the user. The mainstream West believes that I am my own and I belong to myself. Individualism reigns supreme. I have the authority and the right and the duty to discover or define my own identity and to justify my existence by fulfilling it. Noble's big point is that it is too great a burden to bear because the task can never be complete. Instead, Christians believe that we are not our own, but we belong to God who made us, defines us, and justifies us. The mainstream view leads us to constantly strive for self-improvement, optimization, and the greatest virtue of the modern West, efficiency. You got to work more hours, have a side hustle, spend our off hours exercising or building skills or networking with people who can help us get ahead. The Christian view lets us rest, not because rest helps us to work more efficiently, but because resting is part of what it means to be human, to be made in God's image. User Minivan Madness wrote, radical forgiveness, real grace, reconciliation and inclusion rather than tribalism and cancel culture. That that's a unique thing about Christian ethics today. User Reverend D wrote, I think the Christian approach to suffering is a big one. We do not try to avoid it. We do not try to deny it. We do not try to ignore it. 
We live as if suffering is a good thing. We live as if it can be overcome. We live knowing that it isn't the final word and it isn't permanent and knowing that we are to be part of the change. All in all, we live lives of hope in the midst of suffering. Now that's part of the Christian ethic that is different from this world that says suffering is to be avoided. That people are to be canceled and not forgiven. That we are to be individuals who shape and, and, and exercise our own destinies. So these are just some of the ways that Christianity wears different clothes than the world. Back to, back to what uh, Paul is teaching us here. We must put off our old clothes or put off our old selves. What does that mean? We need to stop living lives that are destructive. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity like a set of clothes and put on their new humanity, restoring the image of God. Now, in Ephesians 4, 25-32, which um, probably would have been good to also put up here, but forgive me for not doing this. I'm going to just read it to you. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, it's really easy if you're like me to just go into my uh, snippet Christianity, right? To start looking at these. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of my mouth. In, your, in my anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while, it is, while, uh, while you are still angry. To focus on these one commands one at a time at these different ways that Paul is reminding us on how we should live our lives. But what we need to recognize and remember is that when Paul is putting all these things down, he's actually comparing and setting us up and trying to remind us that these are the ways, the old ways of living life that we need to take off. That we need to stop lying. We need to take off lies, anger, theft and gossip, revenge, promiscuity, and drunkenness. And instead, we need to take be, we need to put on, instead of lies, take off lies, put on truth, take off anger, put on peace, take off theft, put on generosity, take off gossip, put on encouragement, take off revenge. Put on forgiveness. Take off promiscuity. Put on self-control. Take off drunkenness and put on God's spirit. 
And Paul reminds us that in order for us to do this, we need to imitate and keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when I hear righteous and holiness, I wince. I get overwhelmed. I start struggling about how I need to change my behavior. I might even have a little panic attack because I struggle to do so. I struggle with being righteous and holy. Or at least the way that I imagine them to be. When I think about righteousness, I think about being free from guilt and from sin. When I think of holiness, I think of being pure. And I look at my life and I see I'm full of guilt, sin, and I'm not pure. And then I'm reminded. I'm reminded that true righteousness is trusting Christ and the work that he has done for us. True righteousness is trusting Christ and what he has done for us. And I'm reminded that holiness isn't about living lives that are sinless or protecting our community from being contaminated. Holiness is not about living lives that are sinless or protecting our community from being contaminated. Now, that's how the Pharisees saw it, right? When the Pharisees were were trying to uh, figure out how to be faithful Jewish leaders, how to be faithful priests, we need to protect our community from the Romans. We need to prevent our community from getting contaminated from all the sins that, that float around all around us. We need to set up boundaries and upon boundaries so that we are protected and preserved. The holiness, as Jesus was holy, is going out into the world, and just like Jesus did, going in and, and going to the unclean and making the unclean clean, making the unworthy worthy, loving the unlovable, and forgiving those we don't want to forgive. And that's not an easy task. It's easier to be a Pharisee. It's easier to set up boundaries around us. It's easier to put up and try to set boundaries that keep us safe. And yet those ways of righteousness and holiness don't work. They just reveal our failures and our need ever the more or our inability to do the things. And so to follow Jesus, it requires a change in our minds, a change in our mindset. And it's complicated. In order to change our minds, we need to change our actions. In order to change our actions, we need to change our minds. How do we do this? Now, if you had tried to do or are in the process of doing a New Year's resolution, you must be struggling with this, or if you're not, then you need to set harder resolutions for yourself. Because for those of us who try to do anything new, we realize just how difficult it is. Changing habits, changing our actions is impossible, or if not impossible, very difficult. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to change our new habits or to change our habits. It takes a lot of work to get rid of that your favorite t-shirt that you've had since 19, 1995 
that you, that's, that's all worn out, that's hanging in your closet, or maybe no longer in your closet, it's in your, in your dresser drawer because you remember the memories of how comfortable and how, how good it is. It's too ready that you can't wear it anymore or it doesn't quite fit. Or maybe it's worn and threadbare and you wear it too often, but it takes a lot of work to toss it out. And it's uncomfortable to put on new clothes that need to be broken in. My kids were just complaining about all the new clothes that, that we had gotten for them, how it doesn't fit quite right, how the sleeves are too short, how the shoulders are too tight, how the shoes are too tough. And you sit there and, and, you, and I listen to my kids and I, I say, yeah, I remember what it was like to be a kid. I remember what it was like not to be able to wait until my clothes were broken in and comfortable. And it's uncomfortable to put new clothes on. But we need to take steps and actions towards true righteousness and true holiness. And we need to do it together. It's something that we can't do by ourselves. And, and let's be honest. It's a never-ending journey. We're not going to be perfectly righteous or holy in this lifetime. Recently, John Mark Comer, uh, I had a chance to hear him speak. And he was challenging us to live our lives with our eulogy in mind. When we die, we will not be remembered by our achievements, but by our character, by the holiness of our lives. He mentioned how at Luis Palau's funeral, no one cared or talked about his ministry that led thousands to Christ. But instead, they remember the man who loved all his grandchildren, even the ones who weren't Christian the person who took time out to spend with friends and family, the person whose life, who you knew you were in the presence of someone special because of all the ways that the holiness of God, of Christ, had transferred onto this person who followed Jesus faithfully for his whole life. Comer continues, and he mentioned a story in, in the book, Report to Greco, by Nikos Kazantzakis. Nikos Kazantakis is talking to a monk, Father Makarios, and he asks him, do you still wrestle with the devil? Father Makarios says, no, I used to wrestle with the devil all the time, but now I have grown old and tired, and the devil has grown old and tired with me. So I leave him alone, and he leaves me alone. Nikos asked, then life is easy now? Father Makarios responded, oh no, life is much harder now, for now I wrestle with God. Nikos exclaimed, you wrestle with God and hope to win? No, said Father Makarios, I wrestle with God and hope to lose. Friends, we have a God that loves us so much that he will not let us win in our brokenness. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to be the righteous sacrifice for our sin, to show us how to live into a new life, to help invite people to live into this new way of life, a life full of truth, a life full of healing, a life full of peace, generosity, encouragement, forgiveness, self-control. A life full of God's spirit. And this God 
he, to follow him in true righteousness and holiness, we look to Jesus. The gospel will affect the way we live our lives, personally, each and every one of us. The gospel will affect the way our community works. And I love how how y'all are striving to love your neighbor here in North Beach and your friends, wherever they might be. And the gospel will affect the way that we live our lives in our families. And this is the hope that we have, right? That as broken as we are, as broken as our community is, as broken as our family relationships are, that God is at the work bringing healing and wholeness for us and through us into this world that so needs to know the gospel. This hope that we have as we put off our old selves and put on our new selves, as we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is so easy to take our eyes off of Jesus, to start trusting in our own righteousness and our own holiness, which fails. To put our trust in the righteousness and holiness of idols that only disappoint us and fail us. I pray that you would continue to show all of us that the only righteousness and holiness that we can have hope in is Jesus. And that you have called us to be part of his redemptive work in our society here in San Francisco, here in North Beach. I pray that you would give us courage to take off our old selves and to put on our new. And I pray that we would continue to seek after you and to follow you all the days of our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.